0: about to enter into the last of our two messages from the book of Galatians and uh, it has been a joy and uh, you'll notice a difference in tone from the Apostle Paul as we take on these last two sets of passages and I want to offer them up with both an encouragement and uh, I'll just call both of them encouragements an encouragement and an encouragement. When you're, when you're studying your Bible and you kind of reach that space where you feel like, oh, he's kind of wrapping up, that's not throwaway text. I want you to really think about what the Bible says about itself, that, uh, um, that these words are God-breathed, that they are inspired by him, and that they are good for doctrine reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that you may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And that uh, even if it's just uh, the greeting or if it's the salutation or if it's the close and it seems like the apostle or the Holy Spirit through the apostle is kind of wrapping things up, that we don't just treat that like throwaway text. I know that that temptation can be there, but I believe that there are some real gems uh, found in some of the latter portions uh, of many of the books or if not all of them, if uh, we look deeply enough or sometimes just look plainly. So let's pray together and get ready for uh, our time uh, in the Word this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm thankful to you for uh, the moment that you've carved out in time. You've ordained the gathering of your people um, as a church, and because you've ordained it, you've also, Lord God, intended to bless that moment. And you bless it with a very specific uh, capability and expectation that your people will be perfected, edified, and made ready for the work of ministry and that you do that, Lord God, through the gifts that you've given in the body. And I pray, oh God, that you would enliven and awaken in me, uh, Lord God, the gifts that you've made for that purpose. I pray, oh God, that you would not only, Lord God, do that in me and for me, but you would also make ready all of our hearts, that you would teach the teacher and you would also teach those that are gathered, Lord God, to hear from you, regardless of their level of expectation, regardless of level of need. I recognize, Lord God, that there are some people in the room who, absolutely, desperately have a high felt need to hear a word from you. Others of us, Lord God, we just kind of know we need to be here because attending church is an act of obedience and it's also part of our tradition. I pray, O God, that with equal intensity that you would speak to us. I pray, O God, that um, we would know for certain that there's been a demonstration of your spirit uh, as the Apostle Paul said, when he came amongst the Corinthian church, he claimed to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that the faith of the audience would not rest in his oratory abilities, but it would rest, Lord God, in You. I pray, O oh God, that that same impact would take place here today. Deliver us from the academic, and bring us, Lord God, to a fuller and richer understanding of You. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to go on record and say I have no issues with the academic. I just want to make sure you understand that I don't want us to live there exclusively without having had an encounter with the Lord. But for those of you that have been walking with me for a while, I think you knew my heart on that. Well, um, how many of you have heard the phrase too close for comfort? It's not a very obscure phrase. We probably use it all the time, right? Maybe you're out, um, maybe you're, you know, throwing the frisbee with some friends and there's a couple of groups doing the same and... Uh, you look up at the last moment, and a frisbee whizzes by your face, really, really close. And if you had not looked up at the last moment, maybe it would have hit you. And you say in that moment, "Whoo, that was!" That's right. That's right. Um, you know, perhaps you are you're driving, and. Uh, Maybe you're on your phone, or maybe you're reaching under the seat trying to find something that rolled underneath while you're driving along, and as you're there in traffic, another vehicle is coming, and it looks as if they're veering into your lane, or maybe you're veering into your lane, and you look up at the last minute, and almost your mirrors almost clip each other, and you say, whew, that was... That's right. Maybe you're watching the news, and... uh, Uh, You just kind of while you're washing dishes or maybe cooking a meal at the stove and you look over and you see uh, a news flash, this just in from the broadcast station of your choice And, and you notice that there is yellow tape and blue lights everywhere and you look up and you begin to pay attention to the report and you could tell that something tragic, something ugly, something disastrous has happened. And then you happen to capture a glimpse down at the bottom and you recognize the intersection or the neighborhood and it's really, really close. And you say to yourself, ooh, that's... I think we can all identify with the fact that there are times in our lives when something of a dangerous nature happens really close to us and it's close enough that it calls us to say exactly that. That's too close for comfort. I am not comfortable with those types of things happening that close to me. Well, I believe that there's a certain tension in today's text that would cause us to, to, to call us to feel that way when we see certain things happening in the lives of others around us. I wanna read that text and see if you can pick up on that tension, and then we're gonna come back, and I'm gonna tell you exactly what we're gonna be talking about today. But Galatians chapter six, verses one through 10, read as follows. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. And let each one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And for what one sows to his flesh, he will reap uh, from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will also reap from the spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing or doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Now, as you again get to this latter portion of the letter, it seems as if Paul is just kind of shotgunning several admonitions and encouragements out there. You know, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't let your brothers, you know, stray and drift. God is not mocked. It just seems like it's kind of all all over the place. But, But there is a central idea, there is a central view of God that I believe holds tension in this text and holds it all together, and that is God is not mocked, and whatever we reap, we will sow. And it sits at the center of the text, and I believe it holds together even the encouragement that we see in the opening lines. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourselves, lest you end up being tempted also. Why? Because what you reap, you will sow. The reason that I want to preach from the topic of Too Close for Comfort this morning is because I believe that we as a church, we as the church, should never grow comfortable watching another believer's life crumble. We should never grow comfortable watching another believer's life crumble. That should always make us say, you know what, that is too close for my comfort. And not that you're going to duck and dodge it, but you're going to look at it carefully and say, oh, that's too close for comfort. I am not comfortable watching someone's life go off the rails. I'm not comfortable. Now, this has to be a spirit-inspired movement, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we live in a culture that trains us from start to finish. Stay in your lane, stay out of my business, mind your own business. And you had better believe if you have been baptized and stand in your lane, mind your own business, put your head down and keep moving forward. Don't worry about me. I'm going to handle mine. You handle yours. You cannot drink from that fountain 24-7 and then suddenly come down and sit in these pews and get concerned, compassionate, and mindful about the life of another person. It just won't happen unless you are spirit-led which is really the, the, the kind of the, the capstone and the emphasis from last week if you heard Pastor Eddie's message. And so we are called today to never get comfortable with watching another believer's life crumble. But why? There's two tensions. There is the appeal to never let it happen or to, or to make sure that we're reaching out to those who might be found in a trespass or caught in a sin. But then there's something more than an appeal. In the center of the text, it says God has wired the world for moral reciprocity. That's just a really pretty way of saying the Lord is not mocked. What you reap, you shall also sow. In other words, when I see a person's life that is living off the rails, my approach is a form of how I'm sowing. And what I sow, I'm also going to reap. So there's a, there's a tension here where God is holding the body accountable for how comfortable we get when we see the lives of others who may be bearing a burden or may find themselves living below his grace. But I wanna do some more work on this. Has God really wired the world for moral reciprocity? In other words, is there really in the fabric of the creation, this you reap what you sow dynamic? Is that just a phrase that we like to use when there's good fortune that comes into our life and we wanna be able to explain it by way of having done something good in our personal past? Or is it just a, you know, do we, we cause we casually use phrases like, oh, that's just karma. It's just coming around, what goes around, comes around. We have all kinds of phrases to, to capture that. So, so even in the secular mind, we do recognize a correspondence between those who sow and those who reap. But, but what is the biblical proposition and why does it really work? You see, the, the, the Bible gives us this portrait of the Lord and his relationship with his world that it's not just something that was just he happened to find and then he decided to kind of manage it. But there is really a a, a wiring that God has built into the world, a moral reciprocity, if you will. And here's why I believe that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe, universe, right? Not just your church, the universe, not just your world, the universe, the cosmos, was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. So everything that we see at the material world, things visible and invisible, has been created by the word of God. He spoke it into existence. The Bible goes forward to say that in Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, that not only has the Father, God the Father, spoken the worlds into being, but then it also talks more about his Son and it says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it is by also the Son is actively holding this world together in the way that it works. But then the son tells us something about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the entire Godhead is involved in this. John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, and when he comes, Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the rule of this world is being judged or has been judged. So this is Jesus defining the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is both effectual inside the hearts and minds of those of us who are led by the Spirit, but also in the world in the way that God has wired it. Actively working to bring about objective moral sensitivity, understanding that that there are certain principles and certain boundaries that are baked into this creation and that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of its sin. So the Father spoken into existence, wired it by his word, the Son is holding it together, by his word, and then the spirit is actively working, reminding us all of the principles of God, whether you're in the family of God or not. The world is wired with a sense of moral reciprocity. God is working around the clock to continuously underscore his standard, and he will not be mocked. I get it. I feel the tension in the room. I know that you're probably pulling up in your mind multiple times when you feel like you did a lot of good and you didn't get any return on your moral investment. Or multiple times where you see people who you believe are bad and they are still living a good life and that bothers you and you're wondering, do people really reap what they sow? And the answer is yes, because you got to also remember what, 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 what God told the believers there during Peter's day when he says, listen, don't, don't consider the, the, the duration and how things are going to be an act of slackness as men count slowness. God is not slow in the fulfillment of his promise, but he's very long-suffering and he's patient so that people would come to repentance. So in other words, this same unique window where we don't always see the moral reciprocity working out, you and I have both been beneficiaries of that patience of God to not see all of our sins falling on our shoulders. So sometimes the same long suffering that we are critiquing are ones that we've been beneficiaries of. Too close for comfort so now that we we have this general idea that our world has been wired for a moral reciprocity or very basically put if i'm going to reap what i sow then i need to keep an eye on what i sow if indeed i'm going to reap what i sow then i need to keep a close eye on what i sow And i want to talk about three distinct sowings that i see in today's text that i want to bring to our awareness and the one is found just right here in verse one Brothers, if you see anyone who's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness and then keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too. I believe that this first point of sowing is this, that we want to be people who sow in truth and grace. We want to sow in truth and grace. The reason we want to sow in truth and grace is because we are called by the scriptures to restore anyone caught in any sin. You might say, well, yeah, that's pretty plain. Yeah, but here's what happens in practice. Some of the ones that we see caught in sin, our first impulse is, well, I saw that coming a mile away. Well, I knew that was going to happen. He or she wasn't living right anyway. Oh, well, we can have a casual, a callous, a cavalier approach to seeing those who have gone off the rails. But the Bible says those of you that are spiritual We'll be led by his spirit to actually work to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And so we are to sow in both truth and grace. Jesus Christ mastered the truth and grace movement. He was so beautiful in how he could speak with courage and boldness to the real issues, but at the same time, do so in a way that still drew people forward. And you may be saying, well, well, I'm not Jesus. I don't know how to do the whole truth and grace. I don't know how to do it. I just have to do me. No, you know how to do it. And here's how I know you know how to do it. Have you ever seen a baby? in a high chair, maybe your baby, it's gotta be, a ba- it's gotta be your baby because if somebody else's baby, this won't work for you. Have you ever seen your baby or a baby that you liked in a high chair and they've completely made a mess of themselves, they made a mess of the area? Food is not only on their clothes, not only in the, on the little tray that, that they're supposed to hold their stuff, but it's also all out on the floor. You know what the person who loves that child does? They're, 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 they're a mess. They've made a mess of themselves in their life. That parent or that person charged with watching that child goes over and beautifully reaches into that mess, pulls them out, brings the child to them, washes them off, cleans them up. They don't shirk the baby like this. Or if they do, I want to pray for you. But, 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 they, but they grab hold of that baby, fully knowledgeable that they have made a mess of them. The mess is their mess. But they step in and they grab hold of that baby, draw them close, wash them off, and then they go to the area that they've messed up, sweep up the floor around it, clean off the chair and wash it, and then put the baby right back in there, knowing that they are destined to probably repeat the same mess again until they mature. That is the approach that the Lord has called us to when it comes to truth and grace. Yes, there are those around us with varying degrees of maturity and their lives are challenged by varying degrees of mess. And we are supposed to go and get them both in truth with boldness and courage because that's what the Spirit of the Lord gives. It gives both gentleness and compassion, but it also gives us truthfulness and boldness to speak into the lives of others around us. So in truth and grace, now, notice that the Bible says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, I believe that this is, a, this is, I believe that this is necessary to note, that it's anyone caught in any transgression, because if not, if it's, if it's my favorite person caught in my familiar transgression, that could be a recipe for trouble. You see, when it's a person that's my personal favorite, and they have fallen off the wagon, I have a wonderful way of making all kinds of excuses and justifications. Well, I know they're hard. I know they didn't mean it. We grew up together. I notice that what they're trying to do, and that's excusing their sin. It's justifying their sin. So it's anyone. It is both my my favorite and also my least favorite person. The person who may be in the privacy of my own fleshly heart. I hope that they had fell on some kind of calamity because I'm tired of talking to them about it. But it's not just anyone, it's also any sin any sin, both those that I'm familiar with and those that I'm not familiar with. And this is why it's those who are spiritual or those who are spirit led that have to be very careful about this. Let me tell you something. I, um, I've never struggled with, uh, substance abuse or anything like that. And so if anyone calls me and says, you know what, uh, Rod, man, I, um, I fell again. I had another bender. You know, my my thing is crack cocaine, I'm over here at the Gruzzy Hotel on the deep edge of town, it's two o'clock in the morning, can you come get me? I have absolutely no issue going to get that person. But let me tell you something. I had to be careful of my own soul. If that had also been my issue, I should not be getting in the car to go get them. Or unless I end up at the edge of town in the Gruzzy Hotel with them at 2 a.m. in the morning. But for every single person, for anyone caught in any sin, there is a response. The, the moment that the Lord puts that on our register and on our dashboard, there is a certain response that we can offer. You may not be the hands-on person for every sin and for every one in every moment, but there is some way that if the Lord has made us aware that there is a brother or a sister who has gone the way of a transgression, we are to be working diligently to restore them. And to do so in a way that keeps watch over our own soul. Spirit-led people have a spirit-inspired perspective on sin. I'm not looking to excuse it, and I'm not trying to be a junior Holy Spirit and add more excruciating pain to it. Uh, If I've got a spirit-inspired view of sin, I'm viewing it between that person and the Lord and realizing that it impacts other people outside of them and the Lord. But also I recognize that the ministry of the Holy Spirit always in my life is to extract us from sin and not to excuse our sin. To bring us out but not to berate us while we're in it. Last week, Pastor Eddie shared uh, that that, that David prayed a prayer, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's never a prayer that people in this room should have to pray because the Holy Spirit living inside of us, if you have placed faith in Christ per the promise of God, he is standing firm and steadfast in us. Even when you are at your worst, the Holy Spirit is standing there speaking truth. You're going to come out of this and you're going to come to me. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. He does not abandon us. But he also does not sit there silently and say, oh, well, I know your heart. No, he calls us up. He calls us out. And so we are called, who are spiritual, who are filled with the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, to move with that same temperament. We want to sow truth and grace. Verses 2 through 6 tell us we need to do something else in the way we sow. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Interesting phrase. We want to sow compassion in action. We want to fulfill the law of Christ. What is this law of Christ that they speak of? I believe that this is a subtle or direct allusion to uh, what Jesus taught when asked what, was the, what is the greatest law of them all. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, it says, Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is the second, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In other words, so when I'm moving with compassion in action, when I sow compassion in action, I recognize that in much the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ bore my burdens alone on the cross, that I am to also in some way that is illustrative of the law of Christ, bear the burdens of my neighbor. We're not called to be their saviors. We're not called to be their junior saviors. But, but I do believe that if the Bible calls me to bear one another's burdens and also to share one another's blessings, it would look something like this. If you've ever had to help somebody move and it was just two of you and it was time to get that oh so massive piece of furniture off of that truck, the mattress, not the box spring, the wiggly one, that heavy Awkward one, that the weight is always shifting, right? I believe that for those of us that have burdens in our lives, that when we share one another's burdens, it's just like helping them to carry a mattress. Sometimes when we go to carry the mattress, we may be the one going up the stairs. Sometimes we may be the one on the, on the lower part of the mattress. Sometimes we may be the one who, who has to wiggle this way or wiggle that way. But, but, but we are committed to getting that mattress carried. That's what it means to bury the burden. Sometimes when you're carrying a mattress up the stairs, you can't see the other person, but you can hear them. And y'all have to pause for a minute and put it down and take a breather and say, you ready? we go go at it again. And you have to talk around the mattress and say, well, what do you about?" You have to collaborate on the burden. Sometimes when, you, when you're having some, helping someone to carry a mattress, you have to be prepared to lose a little skin on the back of your hand because you can't put the mattress down when y'all turn that steep corner to go up to the bedroom. And you, you've, you've gone too far to set it down now. You might have to mess up one of your good shirts. You may have to deploy a little bit more strength than you planned to for that day. But that's what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. It can be messy, it can be sloppy, it can be toilsome, but because you help them bear the burden, you also share the blessing. When you finally get to the top of the stairs and y'all get up there and boom, and drop it down, there's nothing that feels better than that. Amen. I'm getting a text even now, can you help me move next weekend? But we want to share one another's burdens. We want to share in one another's blessings. And I believe that that is, that is, that is a part of it. it there, is a, there is a certain compassion. I am not to outsource the handling of other people's burdens. Now I get it. Some of the issues we encounter in the lives of others, we may feel are above our pay grade, but we need to be prepared in some way to help carry that burden. You may not know how, but, but guess what? When, when a friend calls you to move and you really care about them, you, you, you may have recently hurt your back, and you says, "I I can't, carry a, I can't carry a mattress, but you know what? I can't get these little boxes of glasses and cups. I may not be able to carry anything, but I will drive the truck. I can't drive the truck, but I will bring y'all coffee. I don't have money to bring y'all coffee, but I'll at least hold the door while y'all bring the mattress up. People who care about others who are carrying burdens, they find a way to insert themselves, and they're not being nosy, they're being compassionate. So we are called to bear the burdens of one another, but we're also called to share in the blessings of one another. For those of us that are experiencing seasons of victory, don't let our Americanness, don't let our commitment to castle building and creating spaces designed for our own unique comfort, become exclusive to us? Will you invite others in? For those of us that are being blessed, for those of us that are benefiting in some way, will you refresh the body? I'll never will forget some 15, 20 years ago, there was a lady at our church that would prepare what I call the cousin to banana nut bread. It's zucchini bread, if you've ever had it. They're like, they're very, taste very much the same. But I'll never forget, she, she didn't... Um, you know, she never washed my car. She never paid my bills. She never, you know, I, I don't know, met me on the side of the road in the middle of the night when I had a flat. But you know what she did do? Every time she made a batch of zucchini bread, she brought me one. And that was just her thing. And that simple blessing, it blessed my heart. Someone's like, she's going home to be with the Lord and she's still showing up in messages today because she blessed my heart. And if I knew how to bake zucchini bread, which I don't, but if I did, man, I'd be bringing it too in little bags. Just know that you are metaphorically and figuratively receiving zucchini bread from Rod. This is what I know how to bake. I know how to bake this. There you go, JT. But man, if I know how to do it, trust me, I'm striving to look to how, for, for how can I invite you into it. I want to share my blessings, but I also want to bear your burdens with you. My faith in practice, my faith in practice should look more like a merry-go-round than a trip to Walmart. Help me out, uh, media team. Anybody recognize this? Now, all the people in the previous service, they rode this, some of them built it. But, but this right here, this right here is one of the most beautiful analogies of sharing and burdens and sharing and blessings I've ever seen in my life. This is way better than the mattress. Let me tell you something. If you remember this, we would all get on that. Some sit in the middle, some sit close to the outside. And, and, and we would all put our weight on that. But we would all get on one knee and hang our leg off the side. And each one of us would contribute, pushing hard to make it go around. And what's happening, as we share the load of making that thing go around, we all share in the mutual benefits, screaming at the top of our lungs until the bell rings and we have to go back to class. Right? I mean, enjoying the blessing of us also rowing together with the shared burden. No one person carried all the weight, and no one person had all the fun. This was just a, a beautiful thing, but that's not what we see a lot of today. Right now, I feel like one of the greatest analogies of the faith uh, that we are having in the American context is more like Walmart. I have a list of things that I need, that I desire. I'm going to pull up in that parking lot, I'm going to go to my respective aisle, I'm going to get my stuff, and hopefully I won't even have to encounter a cashier, because I'm going to go to the self-checkout. I got everything that I need, I'll be back in the parking lot, fully incognito, in, out, in, no matter of seconds. As a matter of fact, I'm so committed to not encountering anyone, I'm dressed like, I mean, I'm mean, i a trench coat and, and hat pulled down, like I don't want to see anyone. And I'm begging us based on the strength of scripture today to not do our Christianity like that, to not let this be a place where you say, you know what? I hope Pastor Rod or Pastor Ryan are at least doing a B plus B+ message today because that's what I need to get in and get out. I don't want to encounter anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. I just need to get mine. It's just between me and you, Jesus. Hopefully these guys are serving it up and I can get in and out. That's not the kind of Christianity we've been called to. Our faith and practice should be more like the merry-go-round than the Walmart. Believe it or not, we're reaching the close. In verse 8, same passage, because we already read verse 7, right? The Lord is not mocked. Whatever we reap, we'll sow. But it tells us in verse 8 that we want to sow, that we need to sow in the spirit and not according to the flesh and so my appeal is this that we want to sow in faith and not in flesh if you notice anything about this sowing and reaping language it's quite interesting because the fruit of the spirit do not come about as a result of magic it's a result of maturity this is something these these this is fruit that is grown in the life does that make sense This is fruit that grows in the life over a season of maturity and through sanctification. It's fruit that grows and matured that doesn't just magically come. And then we're also subsequently told, don't grow weary in well-doing. So don't believe because you don't see all the fruit manifest in your life now that you're somehow failing as a Christian or that God's Word is failing or it doesn't really work. We're supposed to recognize that we will reap in due time, but we need to keep sowing faithfully and recognize that the fruit of the Spirit are grown through maturity and not just popped into our lives via magic. We also need to recognize that what I reap is linked to what I sow, even if it doesn't look exactly like what I sow. Sometimes, many times, what we've been sowing, we find ourselves growing weary because what has resulted from our sowing doesn't look exactly like what we, well, what we reaped, doesn't look exactly like what we sowed. And so when we sow, we are trusting God to reproduce how he wants it to reap. Remember, he is the one who has wired the world with this kind of moral reciprocity. So when we sow goodness and kindness and gentleness, when we sow in faithfulness, when we sow our seeds of obedience, when we sow in this life, we are at the same time trusting God to produce the outcomes that match his will and his glory. Not my will and not my glory. But it's only when we're spirit led we feel and see that. I also want you to be conscious of the fact that sometimes when there are people in our lives, or maybe it's even we in our own lives, when we're bearing burdens and when we are are sharing blessings, when there are people who need us, when there's a a brother or a sister who has gone by the wayside and we're trying to work diligently to restore them, I think we need to also recognize that some of the failures in their life and in our lives— are not necessarily due to bad seeds. Sometimes it's a soil issue and not a seed issue. Sometimes it's a soil issue. And I believe that Jesus speaks to this beautifully over in Luke chapter eight, verses nine through 15, when he walks us through uh, this parable about the four different types of soil. In Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 9 through 15, you, if you know it, uh, Jesus begins the parable by saying, listen, there's a, there a sower that went out and he's throwing seed and some of it falls on four different types of ground, right? It's one that falls on hardened ground, some that falls on stony, some that falls on thorny, and some that falls on great ground. He's throwing the same seeds on all. Listen, there's people in our lives who have been hearing the same messages, grew up in the same families, have been hip, uh, uh, impacted by the same impulses in life, and we're looking at them judgmentally because we can't figure out why they can't hold it in the lane. We're looking at them wondering why they can't pull themselves up. We're looking, wondering why they can't live holy. You got the same word I got. And sometimes it ain't a seed issue, it's a soil issue. And so Jesus says it this way. He says, there are the ones, the seed, this is the word of God. they are the ones who, who, who uh, the, the, the path, when they hear the word of God, Satan comes and takes the word away from their hearts so that they will not believe nor be saved. Then he says that there are those who when the seas fell on, on rocky ground, these are those who hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root and they believe for a while and sometimes in a, in a, in a testing, they will fall away. These are the people who, who, who may have walked among us. They may have joined our church with glee and they may have seemed like they were gonna be here for a long time. People in your life or in your church or wherever. And then you're like, man, what happened? They had so much enthusiasm. They were attending all the classes. They were showing up in multiplication pipeline. Now I haven't seen them in months. I wonder where they are. That curiosity should cause you to seek to restore. Maybe it isn't a seed issue. Maybe it's a soil issue. Maybe in their great excitement, they didn't have deep root. This then becomes a signal of how you and I should pray. This is the wisdom and this is that spirit-led compassion with which we can step into their lives. How do I help in this person deepen their root? How do I help this person live in a life where they are not thrown off by the persecution that is sure to come in this life? There's other soils mentioned here that those who, who the seeds go in, but the fruit is choked by the cares of this life and riches and pleasure. There are people among us who you and I know that it's not a seed issue. They heard the same word. They grew up in the same families. They've gone to the same schools. They've got the same impulses. You know that the word of God is in them, but their fruit is being choked because they are on, they are, they are on an adventure that has their eyes focused more on the cares of this life. It's not a seed issue. It's a soil issue. And if you know that, are you prepared to go in there and speak truth to help recultivate that soil? And then, of course, there are those who the word falls on good soil. And notice this. It says that these are those who hear the word. They hold fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Real fruit production takes maturity and patience. Anybody that's jumping like a bottle rocket and, 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 and producing fruit out the gates, continue to be in prayer that they don't have shallow root. Let us not take our eyes off of them and say, oh, they got it. They got the energy. They got the enthusiasm. We don't have to worry about them. No, we should be carefully and wonderfully praying for all of our brothers and sisters. And so I, I close with this. Whether it's a seed issue or whether it's a soil issue, whether it's a faith issue, or it's a flesh issue, we are called to sow what we desire to reap. Recognizing that the same boldness and intensity and compassion with which we are willing to go after others, we will surely reap that. Brothers and sisters, I hope it may never happen, but if you found out that Pastor Rod fell off of the wagon, don't shrug your shoulders erase my name from the program and remove it from the marquee out front and be like, oh, well, another one bites the dust. Knock on the door. Come see about me. Send me a text. Check on me. Ask my wife how I'm doing. You know, assuming that she didn't fall off with me. No matter what's going on. But, but, but because recognize that the compassion and action with which we go after others, we are sowing seeds that will reap a harvest in our church. We do not want to be noted as the church that is cavalier about the people that come in among us. We do not want to reap a harvest that suggests, we, we don't want this mindset to live. Oh, well, they left, well, that don't matter because you know, we had 15 plus people in Gospel Hope 101 last week, so we're, we're able to easily backfill and replace anybody that might fall off the wagon. We don't want that, we don't want to reap that. We don't want to sow that mindset in our church. No soul is negligible. No coworker with whom you have been planting seeds of the gospel is negligible, regardless of how hard it is for them to respond. Man, if you were committed to growing a garden in your backyard, and you were throwing seeds, and, and, and you saw birds uh, uh, coming by and stealing those seeds before they had a chance to germinate, you know what you'd do? You wouldn't give up on gardening. you go down to Ace Hardware, and you buy some of that hay and cover it up. You call a friend who's got a great garden and say, man, how can, I, how can I till this soil? How can I make sure that these seeds stick? Because I want my seeds to germinate if you're committed to growing gardens. And so I would just say, as you're planting seeds, because I know you're serious about making disciples who are growing in the gospel. As you're praying for people, because I know you're serious about growing together as a family as you're even giving to missions, because I know you're serious about that too, right? You wanna you know, do this on a mission, whether it be in Clarkson, or whether it be around the world, no matter where you're doing what you do, no matter where you plant your seeds, do it with a, with a, with a, with a biblical intentionality that suggests that, that Lord, I wanna, I wanna fulfill the law of Christ. I wanna come in this with the kind of intention that you do. So the text opened with a very distinct portrait of a person who might be caught in a transgression. Thinking about our Galatian friends, no doubt there were people in that church who may have gotten swept away in some kind of lifestyle. Maybe they're still attending on a regular basis, but their hearts are far from the Lord. Maybe they don't even show up at the the building anymore. Who knows? But you and I all probably know someone like that. And maybe we're the person who is the like that. You may not have left the building, but man, you're far from him. Man, you're burdened in some way. I want us today to pray. I want us to pray for those who feel like they're carrying the mattress by themselves. So I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer and then, we're gonna, and then I, I, I wanna invite you into that prayer with me in a very specific way. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now That those who are burdened, those who are weary and those who are tired, those who are ready to lay down those burdens, those who need someone else to help them carry the burdens, Lord God, that you would give them a, a, a boldness inspired by your Spirit to stop trying to go it alone. To say, hey, I need some help with that and allow us as a local body, Lord God, to live out the reality of this text, that there's one who is burdened and we want to share it with them. They should not have to carry that by themselves. Oh God, would you give them the transparency and openness to let us into their lives? And will you give us the boldness to be there for them in a meaningful way? And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. I'd love to ask if there's anyone here today who fits that description you've been carrying the mattress by yourself. I don't care how heavy, I don't care how light, but if you're carrying a burden by yourself. And I know you've been trained to be independent, you've been trained to stand on your own feet, but you're carrying a burden by yourself. And you know that you know after hearing today's word that you need help in that regard. I want you to just stand where you are, I'm not going to ask you what it is. No one's going to ask you what it is. But if you're carrying a burden by yourself, I want people to pray for you and with you. If you're interested in sharing and it's a way that we can carry with you, we'll do it. But would you, if you're here today and you're carrying a burden of any type, would you stand? We'd love to just pray with you. I'd love to just ask those around you to pray with you. Amen. I see those who are standing. Anybody else who wants to stand? Because I'm going to ask us to pray. Amen. If there's someone who is standing near you, would you just go ahead and move and begin to just pray with them? And to whatever level they want to share with you, they can, but they don't need to. If, they're got, if they've got a burden, would you just pray for them? God Almighty, I agree with those who are standing. You know the exact situation that they're carrying. I pray, oh God, that they would hand it over to you. And I pray, oh God, that those of us that are around them, our prayers are not just metaphorical virtues and good intentions, oh God, but I pray that they would experience powerful lift of their burdens. I pray, oh God, that for those that have a burden, that, that your, your formula is, is a demand that there be an extra set of hands to help carry it, Lord God, from this local church, oh God, that you would call us to account and show us how. If it's beyond anything that any one of us can do, oh God, I pray that your supernatural hands, oh God, would, would take on that burden. I just pray, oh God, that you would allow our church to experience the blessing of the truth of today's word. I pray, oh God, for the person that is not here today, unable to experience because they have been caught away in a transgression and it is our burden as a church. Oh God, would you bring them to mind? Would you help us to find them, to locate them and to with boldness, truth and grace, compassionately seek to restore them